Welcome. Welcome to Everyday Church as we step into a new season. Here in the UK, we're coming back from some of our summer breaks. And next time, we'll be back in John's Gospel. But today, this week, we're going to be looking at vision. Let me read to you from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. If you're a regular churchgoer, these words will be familiar to you. If not, I hope they're helpful to you. Let's read together from Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We live in a world of change. Some of that change is God-ordained. We go through seasons. As you're watching this in the UK, we're in September. We're just stepping into the season of autumn, out of summer into autumn. God has established rhythms of change. We go through changes in our own personal lives. We, we grow from baby to child to teenager to, to young adult to, to kind of older adult to slightly older adult. We go through these seasons of life and they're part of God's plan. We have rhythms in our week, day and night, Sabbath, rest. Change is part of God's plan for us. Rhythm. But we are also in a time of unexpected change, of uncomfortable change, of the change caused by living in a broken world. COVID, pandemics, war, drought, famine... In the UK, real challenges on energy prices. How will we pay for our electricity and our gas in the coming winter? These are the changes that are challenging. Maybe you're going through some of those challenges at the moment. If you are, we're standing with you as a church. But those challenges, those uncertainties can cause our heads to drop. And that's why vision is so important. Vision lifts our heads. Vision changes our perspective. You see, we tend to live in a head-down world. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I'm walking along the street and someone's walking towards me and they're just on their phone and they're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And in the end, they have to go, head up! And they go, ah! Well, it's quite a shock lifting your head and finding me in your field of vision. And vision is meant to do that. It's meant to lift our heads. Little spoiler for where we're going to land in 20 minutes or so. You were created for more than head down toil through the challenges of life. You were created as a child of God for a kingdom vision. But more of that later. Jesus, in this phrase, in this 
passage is trying to lift his disciples' heads. They've gone through a whole load of change, haven't they? Gosh, they've walked through that last week of Jesus' life. They've sat at the table uh, at the Last Supper. They've gone through the turmoil of Good Friday and the, and the, the crucifixion and the death of Christ and that Saturday of uncertainty. Then they've gone through that incredible day of resurrection on the first Easter Sunday. They've then been seeing Jesus here and there and listening to bits of teaching. They're in a time of turmoil and change. And Jesus draws them together. He takes them up this mountain. So often God meets with us on a mountain. If you look at scripture, God pulls Moses up a mountain to give him the law. And Jesus here, the new Moses, brings his disciples together and wants to lift their heads with a reminder of his kingdom vision. This passage is possibly one of the most preached on passages in the Bible. I've preached on it myself numerous times. But there's a reason for that. It's really good. It's such a great passage. And we're going to unpack it together. We're going to see that it's not new. What Jesus is saying is not new, but it's incredibly consistent. We're going to see that in it, Jesus encapsulates both vision and strategy. We're going to see that it's inclusive, that it's incarnational, and that it is inspirational. So let's start with that first phrase. It's not new, but it is consistent. If you've been in church for any length of time, if you've worked for a company for any length of time, we can get a bit inured to vision. We can get a bit of vision fatigue. We can go to a meeting and think, oh, this is the boss's latest big idea. If we're not careful, we can get a little bit cynical. And I understand that. I've been leading church for a long time now, and it's easy as a church leader to think, I've got to come up with something new. Now, part of that is because as leaders, we really want to inspire. We want to lift heads. Part of it's we're a little bit insecure. <laughs> And we think, oh, if I can just find something new and interesting, people will keep coming. Jesus is not insecure. Jesus just has at his core God's eternal vision for his kingdom and his people. What Jesus says here is consistent with his father's vision from day one. Or if you want to be technical, Day six, which is when he reveals it to his children for the first time. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In his great book, The Mission of, of, of God, C.J. Wright talks about the fact that there is one vision statement throughout the whole of Scripture. And it appears in Genesis chapter 1 and it appears again in Matthew 28. God's vision to see his kingdom over all the earth. 
What do the prophets say? The glory of the earth would co- the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's plan has always been that his kingdom would reign over the entire planet and that his children, in this case Adam and Eve, the first humans, in this case with Jesus, the disciples and the, and the birth of the new church, they would bring the kingdom of God wherever they go. This is the constant, consistent call of God. It was the call that Jesus made to the first disciples. Friends, it's our call in the here and now. Wherever you are right now, the call of God is to you. Remember, you are a child of the kingdom of God. That is your calling. That is your reason to be. So this uh, passage also encapsulates vision and strategy. Now I don't want to get too management speak here. There are literally hundreds and thousands of books written on vision and strategy. What's vision? What's mission? What's strategy? Here's, you know, I'm a bear of little brain. Here's my understanding. The simplest way to understand the differences is thus. Vision is the why. Vision tells you why you're doing something. It's the head lifter. It's the big picture. Mission is the what you do to achieve the why. Strategy is how you do it. Strategy can be very, very specific. Vision is global. And Jesus here encapsulates both vision and mission. Where then is the vision bit of this? Where's the why? Well, I think it's this. It's not the go. It's not the make disciples. Don't worry, those things are important. But actually, I think it's this. To obey, teach them, Jesus says, to obey everything I have commanded you. The word disciple in the Bible actually carries a sense of apprenticeship. It's become quite a religious word for us. We know what it means. A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, and, and that's true. But the underlying kind of weight of the word in, first, in the first century was that of apprentice. A disciple of a rabbi was meant to follow, to learn, and then to do, just like an apprentice. An apprentice is somebody who doesn't learn so that they can talk, they learn so they can do. If you're an apprentice carpenter, you don't spend time with a master craftsman so that you can tell your friends just how good they are. No, you spend time with a master craftsman so that you can learn. You can learn how to do what they do through observation and then through doing it and through a bit of teaching and then by observation and then by doing it. And your goal as an apprentice is not to become the person who speaks about the master craftsman more than anybody else. Your goal as an apprentice is to become someone who others think you can do the job. So for the disciples of Jesus, Jesus' intention is not just that we learn about him. He doesn't say in this great commission, teach them about me. He says, no, teach them to obey, which means to do everything I've commanded you. And what did Jesus teach and do? He taught and did the kingdom of God. 
So if you follow the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you constantly hear him say the kingdom of God is like a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, a city on a hill, a pearl of great price, a seed in good soil, a mustard seed. He tells us not to worry, but to seek the kingdom, to forgive as you've been forgiven, to build your life on the rock. Jesus teaches the kingdom, but he also brings the kingdom. The disciples had seen the kingdom taught and brought. So he says, get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Receive your sight. Streams of living water. Come to me all who are thirsty. Your sins are forgiven. He says, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. He says, I'm parting with your friends, Matthew. He says, I'm not judging you. Now leave your life of sin. Jesus taught the kingdom. Jesus modeled the kingdom. His first disciples learnt about the kingdom and then did the kingdom. And here, Jesus is saying the vision, the big vision, is not that you know about the kingdom, but it's about you also do the things of the kingdom. This is the call. Jesus' vision is that people are released to do everything that he did. To bring a kingdom of salvation, of sanctification, of signs and wonders and social action. To bring a kingdom where people are in relationship with God. To bring a kingdom where people are displaying the holiness and the humility of God. To bring a kingdom where people bring the authority and the power of God into every situation. To bring a kingdom where people fight for justice and display the compassion of God to everybody they meet. This is the vision of God. This is the kingdom vision that Jesus is passing on to these first disciples and through those disciples to us. That's the vision. So what's the missional strategy? If we said vision is the big why and the big why is the kingdom of God, what is the missional strategy? Well, it is to make disciples. The imperative command in this phrase is to make disciples. We've learnt before that for, for, for many years the big imperative in this passage was go. And this passage has rightly caused many people down through the ages to leave their home and go and preach the gospel in other communities, in other nations. And that is fantastic. But actually, the main imperative, I don't want to get into too much Greek here, but the, the fundamental imperative of this sentence is actually to make disciples. There's a lot of talk at the moment about disciple-making movements, and it's helpful. It's helpful because it reminds us that the, the central role of the local church is as a disciple-making movement. That is our imperative. Local churches, local church leadership is about equipping the saints. It's about making disciples. When we gather in a small group or friendship group or on a Sunday, we're gathering to be equipped in our discipleship. But let's remember our discipleship is apprenticeship, and it's apprenticeship to the kingdom of God. So the big why is, is the kingdom. The big what is disciple-making. This passage also reminds us that it's part of everyday life and that's what we're going to look at now. So this passage reminds us, says this is not new, it's eternal. 
The big vision, the big why is the kingdom of God. The big mission, the big, you know, what is disciple making? What about some of its character, maybe some of its values? Well, it's inclusive. It's inclusive. Notice the plurality of this passage. The 11 disciples went. Jesus isn't just speaking to Peter or John or Matthew. No, he's speaking to all of them. There's a crowd right here at the start of the church where there's a community because that's who we're meant to be. What does it say in Genesis 1? He created them, male and female. He create, God created community and commissioned them. Here, Jesus gathers community and commissions them. And it was almost certainly more than 11, although the number 11 is noted. And we know it's at least 13 because Joseph and Matthias are there. Do you realize that? If you read in Acts chapter 1, it says this, verse 21 of Acts chapter 1, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. So what is Luke telling us in Acts? He's saying, well, there weren't just 11 people on this mountain. There's at least 13. In fact, we must know there were more than that because they chose these two from a group of others. So 13, 20. We also know that Jesus met with a crowd of men and women. So there's a community here. This call is not just to a favoured few. Jesus is not commissioning the 11 or the 13 or the 20. Jesus is commissioning every believer. This vision is inclusive. That means it includes you and you and you and me and Zach who's recording this today. Every one of us. Jesus' call is not for a few, it's for all of us who are following him. I love the phrase, but some doubted. It'd be so easy for Matthew to miss that out, wouldn't it? I mean, this is the risen Christ. Yet he records for us in this crowd, some were like, yes, Lord. Some were like, ah. You see, this visionary call is not just for the good Christians. I don't know who they are. I'm certainly not one of them. It's for everyday Christians. Everyday people with an extraordinary God. It's for each one of us, even with our questions. Even when we're asking, what about this and what about that? Jesus doesn't discount us because we haven't got it all sorted. No, he calls us to this vision why? Because actually he knows when we get called to vision, we sort out some of those questions. That's another sermon. It's inclusive. We can easily discount ourselves. We can easily think we're not good enough or too busy or we won't add anything or maybe we're even a bit apathetic sometimes. In the busyness of life, it's easy to think this calling isn't for me, but the kingdom call is inclusive. Everybody matters. Everybody. It's not only inclusive, it's incarnational. I love that word. It's incarnational. 
This year, we're working our way through John's Gospel. And cast your mind back to January. What did we read? The Word became flesh. God incarnate. This kingdom call is incarnational. It's not abstract. It's not some philosophy that was just handed to a few chosen people to preach. No, the word, the vision becomes flesh and walked amongst us. In the beginning, God created humanity out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into them. In Christ, God becomes dust. We see in the life of Jesus, he spends his time down in the dust, doesn't he? He gets down in the dust with the outcast and the humiliated and the unwell. He gets down in the dust with the woman caught in adultery. He writes literally in the dust. He washes the dust from his disciples' feet on that Monday, Thursday. God gets down in the mess and the grime with us to lift us up to his kingdom vision. This vision is incarnational. That means it's part of our daily life. We said before that we've tended to interpret this passage as go, as if getting involved in kingdom mission in the vision of God is an additional activity. We have to stop everything else to go. But actually, what this passage says is, as you go, it means in life. We're not meant to step out of life to do mission, do kingdom vision, and then step back into life. No, it's incarnational. In the midst of life, we are meant to be kingdom bringers. In our families, in our friendship groups, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. When we're talking about the kingdom, how I do my job is as important as how I read my Bible. How I treat my children is as important as how loud I sing on a Sunday. How I do the mundane things in life that make life work are as important as whether I'm seeing miracles. There is no sacred secular divide in this vision statement. As you go... The kingdom of God is meant to be incarnational. How I do my work, how I parent, how I treat my friends, how I speak about people in their presence and their absence, how I relate to my neighbours, how I handle my money, what I watch on a screen, my relationship with my phone. (laughs) Every aspect, because it is incarnational. Jesus got down into the dust of life to bring the kingdom of God into the dust of life. And we are called to obey and do everything he taught and did. It's incarnational. Everything matters to God and is meant to express the kingdom of God. Thirdly, it is inspirational. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? (laughs) You should be. In the midst of all this change, I'm saying to you, and you're also part of this kingdom, and the kingdom is supposed to be worked out in every area of your life. Feeling the pressure? When we unpack this passage, when we glimpse the reach and responsibility of God's kingdom mission, we are meant to feel overwhelmed. We are meant to think, I cannot do this. 
If we don't do that, we either have too small a view of God's kingdom or too big a view of our own ability, or possibly both. We must read these verses all the way to the end. Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In John's Gospel, as we will get to in a few weeks' time, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying here is this vision is huge. This kingdom plan is huge. And you are to get caught up in it. But it's impossible if I'm not with you. It's impossible if you don't abide with me. It's impossible if you don't remember that the kingdom of God is dependent on the presence of God in your life. Not just in your meetings, in your life. God wants to fill us with his spirit for worship and for Monday morning, because both are worship. It is truly inspirational. As Moses declared, what makes the people of God unique is not just their kingdom call or the boundaries of the law, it is the presence of God in their midst. Jesus promises his presence here in Matthew 28. Jesus promises his presence through the Holy Spirit in John 14. The early church waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and went on being filled in Acts 1, Acts 4, Acts 10 and Acts 19, just to pull out a few. We are totally dependent on the inspiration, the Spirit-filling of God. Without the Spirit, we can do nothing. But with the Spirit, we can do all things. Because we will be in Christ. It's incarnational. It's about real life. It's inclusive. It's about all of us. But it's inspirational. It's dependent on the presence of God in our midst. Okay, so that's great. God doesn't leave me alone. The Holy Spirit is on my side. But, Simon, I'm busy. You've already outlined all the changes that are going on. Life's a bit hectic. Can I just kind of pause the kingdom for a while so I get through the next few months? Well, of course you can. But remember what I said right at the start. You're created for this. You are created. We are created for the kingdom. Remember Genesis 1. God created mankind in his own image. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. To understand the kingdom vision of God, we must remember the essential character of God. It does not say here, God wanted to make them busy, so he gave them a job. No. It says God blessed them, And so he gave them a vision. We are created to be children of God. We are created for relationship with God. We are created to be part of the family of God. And we are created to be part of the family business, which is the kingdom of God. This is our identity. Yeah, we can choose not to engage. Life is busy. There is stress and pressure, real stress and real pressure. 
And the temptation is to get head down and think, once I've sorted this, I'll get involved in the kingdom. But what Scripture tells me is that it's when I get engaged in the kingdom that I sort this. I don't sort this so that I can lift my head. No, my head is lifted. My father says, come on, son. I've created you to be an agent of the kingdom, an ambassador of the kingdom, a man full of the Holy Spirit who brings the kingdom wherever he is. That's your calling, Simon. That's what he says to me. Seek first the kingdom and all this stuff will get sorted. Does this stuff matter? Absolutely, because it's incarnational. God gets down in the dust. This matters, but we sort this by seeing this. Friends, God is calling us afresh to be part of his kingdom vision for his glory, for our blessing, and for the transformation of our world. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe of you. We come to worship you. We come to hear your voice. Lord, as you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to your kingdom, would we seek that kingdom in every area of our lives that you might be glorified. Amen.